It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Never a dull day in North Carolina politics, right? Welcome to the program. It's October 7th, 2020. Thank you very much for joining me, for making me part of your day. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. The show is made possible by patrons like Robin, Andy, John, Billy, Brent, Lou, Grant, and Ashley, Sarah, and Barry, and Alan. Thanks so much. I couldn't do the show without you. They became patrons to support the show. You can, too, just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com, clicking on the link. And if you become a patron... For as low as five bucks, um, you get exclusive content, you get the bumper stickers, uh, and we do live streams. We have different tiers, so you can give what you feel is appropriate uh, and to help support the program. I do appreciate that. So uh, the, the Charlotte Observer, News Observer, and I guess I should throw in the Durham Herald Sun, uh, the McClatchy Newspapers. The editorial board, the combined triumvirate editorial board at McClatchy, very, very upset with Cal Cunningham, the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate, trying to beat the Republican incumbent Tom Tillis. Uh, This was perceived to be a very winnable seat, and the editorial board is very upset with Cal Cunningham. Uh, They're offering him advice on how to come clean so they can uh, give him their endorsement, which I'm sure they're still going to give him, but they would very much appreciate (laughs) him coming clean first on the whole scandal. We'll get to that. Also, later in the program, we've got an interview with E.C. Sykes. He is running for North Carolina Secretary of State. He is trying to unseat the Democrat incumbent Elaine Marshall, who is a six-term incumbent there at the Secretary of State's office. Um. First, you know your website is really important. Now more than ever, you want it to turn up in search engine results, you want it to look professional, you want it to be user-friendly, you want customers to be able to know how to navigate it, but also you need to know how to update your website and manage it uh, on the fly because, you know, in business, uh, things move very quickly, uh, just like in politics. And so you probably know a lot about your business, how to make that work, but probably not your website. Uh, Maybe it's an afterthought. Let Schaefer Smith help you. Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can actually solve a lot of problems that a website encounters. Professional services, corporate, small businesses, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He even does logos. He did mine. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So the McClatchy Editorial Board put out this piece, uh, this would be October 6th, yesterday, uh, just before 5 p.m., and then this whole thing gets blown up after 5, but uh, at 4.43, this posts up online, uh, and they are, uh, they're very mad at Cal Cunningham. Headline, explain yourself, Cal Cunningham. I I just read it like that. I don't know if that was the intended tone that they took. That's just the way it sounds to me. Explain yourself. In an interview... By the way, I just always, it's always interesting to me how the people on these editorial boards uh, think that they are in a, an ethically, morally, uh, or I don't know, otherwise professionally superior position to be able to make such demands on other people. It really is uh, sort of a nice window into the psyche of a lot of the folks that are on these boards. Anyway, uh, in an interview a week ago with the editorial board, U.S. Senate candidate Cal Cunningham talked about why this U.S. Senate race is important for North Carolina. And then they have a couple quotes like, it's about affirming who we are. And uh, he wants to give voice to the values of the people, which, by the way, I've said this repeatedly. Uh, We are all on the low road now. Nobody thinks that having affairs on your wife or your spouse, uh, that that is apparently a a disqualifying characteristic. And uh, it's just interesting to see all of the contortions that Democrats are now twisting themselves into trying to explain to me why the ethical lapse is not the same as what Donald Trump did and how what Donald Trump did is not the same as what Bill Clinton did. It seems like the vast majority of Americans have all kind of come to this place where uh, 
this is all acceptable behavior, at least when it's your guy doing it. If it's your candidate doing it, it's all okay. Um, and I tried to warn people when uh, this came out with Donald Trump. I tried to say, like, if you take this position now with Trump, you lose the moral high ground. You don't get to now make this argument, which you have been able to make, like about Bill Clinton, for example, uh, that, you know, he is behaving in a very poor way. He should not be given power. He is uh, blackmailable, basically. So don't elect him. Like, you can't make that argument any longer if you supported a guy who had the same sort of behavior. And nobody cared. Uh, I lost that argument repeatedly. <laughs> and uh, people said, you know what, Pete, we are okay with um, we're okay with losing that argument, not being able to to make it, I should say, not that they've lost the argument, but they, they abandoned it. They, they ceded the field, right? We cannot make this argument any longer, but that's okay because the trade-off here, the juice is worth the squeeze. The trade-off here is that uh, we get Trump in office. And now you can argue that that was worth it, right? That the juice is worth the squeeze there. But you cannot argue that you get to keep making these attacks against other people on an ethical uh, or moral basis. Okay, now, a couple things that are, well, one thing mainly that's different here between Trump and Cal Cunningham. Uh, number one, Cunningham uh, was not known to be this type of a fella. Donald Trump was. Okay, so that was already baked into the cake, so to speak, with Trump. People already knew that the guy was a philanderer. He wrote a book about it for crying out loud. Um, and so, People already knew this, and so the argument against Trump that, uh, you know, oh, look at this, he sleeps around and he has affairs and all this, uh, and people knew that, and they still voted for him anyway. Cal Cunningham, oh, and by the way, the polling, you know, before the election had that all incorporated into it because people already knew this about Donald Trump. Now, the difference here is that Cal Cunningham presented himself as an anti-Trump, right? He presented himself as a you know, a military guy, which he is, you know, military guy, which we'll get to that. Um, he presents himself as, you know, uh, uh, one a man of integrity and values, and he will take these to D.C., and he will stand for what's right, a family man and all this. And now we find out that's not true, right? At least the family man part and the honor and integrity part. Uh, I'm sure he'll still go up there and, you know, oppose Donald Trump. Now, Democrats are going to have to decide, is it worth it? My bet is they absolutely will decide that it is worth it. Absolutely. They are going to vote for Cal Cunningham because the juice ain't worth the squeeze on this. They are. They need that Senate seat. They need Tom Tillis out. This is one of the most, if not the most, winnable seats for Democrats nationally to flip the Senate. Because if they can't get the Senate and they end up with Joe Biden as president and they end up with, you know, they keep the House and they don't have the Senate, then Biden will be obstructed by the Senate. And they don't want that. So they need the Senate. You could even say they need it more than the White House, because the Senate confirms the the Supreme Court picks. And now, more than ever, they don't, you know, if you get Joe Biden in the White House, and he has a Republican Senate, he's not going to be able to get many of his picks through. He's going to have to moderate some of those picks. Whereas if you have Trump in the White House still and you got a Democratic Senate, they could just block every potential nominee while trying to pack the court. Right. So there are avenues that they can pursue if they if they flip the Senate. This was a very, very important seat for them. And they are super, super angry at Cal Cunningham right now. <laughs> and that's what this that's what comes through in this editorial from McClatchy. They say, but other than a brief statement late Friday acknowledging and apologizing for sending the text messages, quote, the first step in repairing those relationships is taking complete responsibility, which I do, he said. Cunningham has now gone silent, which, like, this is the new version of Silent Cal, who is Calvin Coolidge was the original Silent Cal. Now we have another Silent Cal who uh, he's just gone into hiding. And why is that? Why has he not spoken to the media, except for this statement, since Friday? It's now Wednesday. We're almost at a week, and the campaign has not offered any kind of statement since. Why is that? I think part of it is because he's trying to repair what is now a broken home. I think that's probably in large part 
uh, the deal. Uh, but also, is it really that likely that he suffers a lot of damage from this? If he goes out and makes appearances too soon, um, then maybe it's seen as callous, right? And maybe it's seen as too soon and people hold that against him. If he waits a little uh, bit of time, then he can say, you know, he's he's had this, you know, very difficult conversation with his wife and all of this. And, you know, and then maybe she joins him, as, you know, the stand by your man kind of photo op deal. Maybe that's that's what comes. But really, what do you think the 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 downside is for him going into hiding and not doing any media interviews? Like, honestly, do you think the money dries up here? Do you think because they, he can just like sit in the windowless basement that Chuck Schumer told him to be in and just keep making phone calls, dialing for dollars, raising money and taking in all of the millions and millions and then turning that into campaign ads and just keep running the campaign ads. He doesn't have to actually do anything. He's got a month. But because of COVID, it's not like he was, you know, barnstorming across the state anyway. So you just sit in the basement. You let the uh, you let the media run with whatever versions of the story that it can do, but eventually it ends, right? Eventually you can't really do anything more with the story and you just keep running ads and you pick up some endorsements here or there because no, I mean, Democrats are not going to distance themselves from him. The governor was asked about it yesterday at the press conference and said, yes, he still does stand by Cal Cunningham. So do, do Democrats jump ship over this? I don't think so. So what's the loss? What's the downside for him just going quiet? There doesn't seem to be a lot except for the media, you know, squawking about he should answer us. He should answer us. But I think there's probably another reason why he's gone silent. It's not strictly strategy here. I think it's because they don't know what else is coming. I think that there's more coming out. And I have thought this from the beginning. I said it from the from the outset. I said that those text message exchanges, um, they are not indicative of uh of a one-time deal what did i say it's just the first time he got caught we found out also there's another potential mistress out there as well we don't know what's become of that i think the campaign has to sit by and wait and see what all comes out because if he comes out and he starts apologizing for specific things saying i did this and that's it and then some other accusation arises, then it's it's way worse. It becomes way worse. Because remember, what did he apologize for? Everyone assumed he was apologizing for sending the text messages. But his apology was that he apologizes for what he's done, right? He, he doesn't specifically state anything at all. And so now they just keep referring everybody back to the original statement, which is, you know, I take responsibility for what I did. He doesn't ever say what he did. The Raleigh News and Observer, Charlotte Observer, Durham, Herald Sun, editorial boards, they've all asked apparently for, um, for you know, follow-up from his campaign. He has uh, uh, refused to or declined to do interviews with reporters. He also canceled an appearance at a virtual town hall, and the editorial board says that needs to change. This board, like many North Carolinians, is troubled on several levels by Cunningham's illicit messages. Beyond the obvious questions about morality and marriage, the messages show a concerning lack of judgment on Cunningham's part. I agree. I said that from the beginning as well. I don't understand why, with this kind of scrutiny and attention on your race nationally, why would you think that media people are not going to find out what you did? Right. It's only a matter of time. You put it down in a text message like you're writing this stuff. You don't ever write stuff down like this unless you are expecting it to get out at some point. You have to understand that as an elected official. You have to understand that. And even if it's not the media, you become blackmailable. And somebody in the military of all people should know that anyway. Um, the editorial board says, how could a U.S. candidate risk so much, not only personally, but in a race that could swing the balance of power in Congress? The messages also hint at an arrogance and self-centeredness that we've seen too much of in Washington and in the White House. So, of course, got to take a shot at the Republicans and Donald Trump. What mattered to Cunningham was himself, not the people counting on him and his candidacy. We know too well these days the dangers of 
leaders putting their own interests above the public's. Another shot at Republicans and Donald Trump. We've had enough of U.S. senators from North Carolina choosing what's good for them instead of what's best for their state and their country. That's a shot at, uh, shot at Richard Burr. Finally, there's a concern that Cunningham, an Army reservist who talks regularly about honor, a husband who leverages his marriage as a campaign asset, that he may not be the person he says he is. Answering reporters' questions might not put North Carolinians at ease about the decisions he has made, but it at least would show that he is willing to stand up and be accountable for them. Honor, as Cunningham surely knows, isn't only about making the right choices, it's about fully owning up to the wrong ones. There's another thing going on here. I'll tell you that in a minute. First, this is what's going on at General Equipment Rental. It's the Husqvarna Fall Sale at General Equipment Rental through the end of the month. You're going to have huge savings on all gas-powered and battery-powered equipment. Go to GeneralRents.com. Check out all of the chainsaws and trimmers, lawnmowers, leaf blowers. Um, maybe you want something a little bit bigger. General Equipment Rental has incredible deals right now on riding mowers and pro-grade stand-on mowers, which, by the way, this just changed. Husqvarna just raised the price of two of their stand-on mowers, but General Equipment Rental, they still have some in stock at the old price, the lower price. And when I say lower, I mean $1,000 lower than the new suggested manufacturer retail price so uh go on into general equipment rental if you are a pro you're a, a you know yard maintenance company uh now is your chance you can pick up the v548 or the v554 stand on mowers uh they're holding their prices at the previous uh msrp on all existing inventory so that means you get these mowers at a thousand dollars cheaper uh, than they are currently on the market for. Head on over to General Equipment Rental or GeneralRents.com. Get pre-qualified for 0% APR for 48 months. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville and uh, GeneralRents.com. And think outside your toolbox. All right, I said there's something else going on here, and it's this. Reporters hate sucking wind on a story like this, and they are behind uh, this nationalfile.com website that has gotten the text messages. And after, here's proof, after that editorial was published, National File dumped more text messages. So what was originally just some text messages, just some bad sexting between Cal Cunningham and Darlene Guzman Todd, a public relations strategist from California, that's merely suggested a personal relationship now we know it was more than just the text messages. This is from the AP. The text messages were not obtained from Guzman Todd, but the AP contacted her to confirm their authenticity. In a series of interviews late Monday, as well as the text as well as in the text messages, Guzman Todd described two in-person encounters with Cunningham, one in March in Los Angeles that she said did not include intimate contact, and a second in July in North Carolina where she said they were intimate. In a statement, Guzman Todd apologized for, quote, the pain and embarrassment and disrespect I've caused to my immediate family, loved ones, and everyone affected by this situation. A few months back, I displayed a lapse in judgment by engaging in a relationship with Cal Cunningham during a period of marital separation. The relationship spanned several months and consisted primarily of a series of text exchanges and an in-person encounter. She did not elaborate, but her text messages described the intimacy. That's from the AP. Um, here is the story now with more screenshots from the text messages at nationalfile.com. As the texts continued, Guzman Todd began to have mixed emotions uh, about Cunningham at one point saying, quite frankly, he doesn't deserve my uh, genitalia. She then debated whether or not to formally end things with the Democrat rising star, telling her friend, quote, I just changed his name to Balding, colon, pass. That'll discourage me. So she changed his name in her uh, cell phone. Uh, then she says, should I just tell Cal that I'm done or literally let it die? I'm sure he'll get around to texting at some point. Maybe my lack of a reply will be sufficient. She then says in a another series, I still haven't heard from you-know-who. Did he just ghost me? And the friend says, well, how long since you've heard anything? And she says, Monday, dude. 
then the, uh, literally would hear from him every almost every day. And then the friend says, damn, maybe he got busted. And she says, oh, I didn't even think of that, because narcissists don't think of other people. Um, and then later on, there's this exchange, trying to make plans to see the politician so I can give him the bleep of his life and then walk away. OMG, the friend says, ha ha ha, you're silly. I get that too. She says, I just want him to want me more. Then it will make it easier. I haven't brought my A game. Uh, the friend says, the best thing you can do is ignore him and he will want you more. Uh, she says, uh, no, he wouldn't even notice me. Uh, he wouldn't even notice. And the friend says, yes, he would. And she says something weird about bleeping in another woman's house. So what does that mean? That confirms that she did have relations with him at his place, at the family's house. This would have occurred in August because in another email or another text uh, text exchange, Thursday, August 6th, texted, happy birthday and God, I want to unwrap you today. Only gift that comes to mind. Um, and then a kissy face, miss you and dream about you. Um and regret life is a little hectic and complicated right now because I'd really like to see you. That's what Cal sent to her. Uh, and then the friend says, oh, well, well, the, the quick reply is great. She then references Cunningham's relationship with his wife uh, and her appearances. Uh, her appearance makes uh, some really poor remarks about uh, his wife. Um, and she says that I did it for a week. Then it was all uh, then it was just all weird. So she was at his house for a week, late July, early August, and uh, they had relations at the house. National File then concludes its piece with this. National File has more yet unpublished text messages between Cunningham and Guzman Todd that will be published in the coming days. One other development in this story, I'll get to that in, in a minute first. Here's a development that you need uh, to be aware of. It is the Mattress Man deal, zero down, zero APR for 24 months and zero payments for 90 days. It's a fantastic deal on great mattresses. I actually was talking to a friend of mine. He got a uh, he has a relative who got a mattress from somebody else, and the delivery was awful. They tried to deliver the bed in the rain, and then they showed up again, and it's just it was just a mess. Okay, so what you get from Mattress Man is five star local delivery service. This is white glove service. Okay, one hundred twenty day comfort guarantee. They ship nationwide. Mattress Man stores have all of the types of mattresses that you could want depending on your sleep style i have a memory foam mattress christy and i we love it uh but mattress man which by the way we got from mattress man years ago before they ever advertised on the show mattress man also has inner spring mattresses pillow tops natural latex mattresses as well they have adjustable bases um also maybe you don't want the delivery maybe you have a truck and you are a do-it-yourself kind of guy you just want to go and pick it up they have an a warehouse full of inventory Right now, other stores are dealing with shortages. They are not. They've got a warehouse full of inventory. Go on down, and you can grab and go. So you don't even have to worry about the delivery. If you want to do it yourself, they'll do that with you as well. Go to mattressmanstores.com and experience the difference at Mattress Man. Mattress Man has four stores, Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So, new development in the story about Cal Cunningham. He is now under investigation by the U.S. Army Reserve following these revelations. I mentioned this the other day. We are into court-martial territory because the UCMJ Article 134 strictly and explicitly prohibits extramarital affairs, uh, particularly when it is between two members of the service who are also one of whom was married uh, to another member of the service. This is so incredibly bad for troop morale. And 
Now he is under investigation, WBTV, with the story breaking uh, today. Both Cunningham and the woman identified by the online news outlet National File as the wife of an Army veteran. Both have spouses. Cunningham has touted his military service, first as an active duty soldier in the Army, and now the Army Reserve as a central point of his campaign. He is currently assigned to the 134 Legal Operations Detachment based out of Fort Bragg. In a statement, a spokesman for the Army Reserve confirmed an investigation into Cunningham's alleged extramarital affair. Quote, the Army Reserve is investigating the matters involving Lieutenant Colonel James Cunningham. As such, we are unable to provide further details at this time. So that's where that stands right now for folks who are wondering, well, can he drop out of the race? The attorney, one attorney for the North Carolina State Board of Elections says, not really. A candidate must withdraw more than 60 days prior to the election. After that, according to the general counsel, Caitlin Love, withdrawal is not permitted and any votes for uh, that candidate will count for that candidate. Now, if a candidate for U.S. Senate is not sworn in or resigns after being sworn in, then the governor appoints the vacancy. Um, at the next regularly scheduled election or until the next regularly scheduled election for the state general assembly. So that would be in 2022. So if Cal Cunningham wins this seat in November, uh, and then decides to resign the seat, governor Cooper, if he were to win reelection or Dan Forrest, if he were to beat Cooper, they would make the appointment. However, the appointment would come from the state Democratic Party, because Cal Cunningham, if he wins, is the Democrat. The Democratic Party would nominate somebody to replace uh, Cunningham, and then that person would be uh, named by the governor. The state party would have to give, I think it's like three names, yeah, a list of three names, and then the governor would pick off of that list of three names. So that's the process, but no, you can't just drop out right now uh, and avoid all of this and put somebody else on the ballot that might be able to beat Tom Tillis. Uh, The whole race is now thrown up in the air, and nobody knows which way it's shaking out, and the amount of money spent on this race more than any other U.S. Senate race in America. All right, um, let me shift gears here. Joining me now is E.C. Sykes. He is the Republican candidate for the North Carolina Secretary of State. Uh, Welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Certainly. So, and uh, by the way, folks, if they want to learn more about him, his website is ec4nc.com. Uh, good score on the website there, I'd say. That's uh, it's pretty easy to that's, remember. Yeah, that, that's worked well for me. I kid people, you know, I'm a first-time candidate and there's no politician in ever in my family history. Mom must have been thinking well when she assigned <laughs> the initials. And landed in the right state with some sort of alliterative uh, abbreviation for the state as well. Uh, yes. So tell me why you mentioned this is your first run for office. Why this office? Why why go for first off a state level office? Usually people start at, you know, city or county levels. Um, why go for statewide office first? And then why the secretary of state office? Yeah, um, Pete. So I, I presume we'll probably touch on my business background. But, and I've had some success in that area. It's actually particularly strong. The Secretary of State's role is the one that supports and drives economic growth in North Carolina. It regulates companies as well as should be set in economic vision. So as a three-time CEO and an officer of a Fortune 500, it is it is the place I can bring the most value to the people of North Carolina. And so we, we chose the office that fits my skill set. Okay. And so the Secretary of State office specifically, I think most people, if they have any interaction whatsoever, it might be notary public. Uh, If you start up a small business, as I have, you got to file some paperwork, that sort of thing. But a lot of people, do they have any idea when you've been campaigning and well, I mean, to the extent you can during a pandemic, right? But uh, to the, in your campaigning, do people understand what the Secretary of State's office is all about? We spent a lot of time talking to people about the, the role of the office, what it's currently doing and, and the vision for it, what it can and should be doing, Pete. And, so it, and you're right. A lot of people, if they're forming a company, particularly you think about if you have an entrepreneurs that are thinking about you know, getting into business, um, that is the place that they get started at. Some people call it the front door to North Carolina's economic 
um, porch. You know, it's where it's where we get started um, with our business filings and et cetera. Um, the commissioning of notaries are in it. A lot of other licensing are is in it as well, and so you can go there and find all about the um, the large variety of, of licensing that it regulates and um, reports back on. Um, but in addition to all that, you know, it does have some law enforcement responsibilities for security law, um, for counterfeit goods, um, and for trademark. Fraud is an important part of that office. And so you want an economic system that you're not concerned about the companies that you're dealing with or, you know, somebody trying to defraud you or particularly the elderly. In that area, and so all those activities are administered under this office as well. So that's interesting. Um, from uh, it, it, it does have a lot in its uh, under its umbrella. When you go to the website, you start realizing, uh, it, you know, it got a lot of the responsibilities. Lieutenant Governor, not so much. I don't know what happened over there <laughs> when you're divvying <laughs> yeah. up the, uh, the the responsibilities, right? Um, yeah. So I, I so I'm curious though. How does your background in business? directly apply to this job as Secretary of State? Is there, I mean, I guess I'm thinking like direct experience that you think is transferable, um, I guess, outside of a management style or practice? Yeah, good question. So, um, you know, I was trained as an engineer and so at North Carolina State, actually, and then I got my business, um, my master's in management from there as well, which is our precursor to the MBA program. Um, I, I have had the opportunity to be CEO of three companies. Two of them were service companies, manufacturing services companies, and the whole role of those companies, what's important, how they make, it's important for them to be able to make money is to take out waste, right? is to drive processes right to become more efficient and that is what's needed in this office is is the processes of managing companies that this office administers and so that business skills that i've had of doing that in small companies as well as large from small privately held company i i have my own company now um to large fortune 500 companies where our I was executive officer responsible for running operations in 20 countries, um, 35,000 people. Um, that, that ability to take out waste, drive efficiency, bring common sense business practices to the office that drives economic activity um, correlates highly. In addition to that, this is the office that should have the, the economic vision of North Carolina, help it to drive our economy for the future. And so as an executive officer, as a person that's been responsible for setting strategy for companies in the future, that fits extremely well as we think about where North Carolina's economy should be heading. It does sort of overlap, right, this this elected office more so than probably a lot, maybe, well, maybe outside of the governor. Um, But as far as elected positions go, you really need to be in sync with the business world. Right, the business mind yeah. in North Carolina. Well, I mean, you know, you probably heard before the business language. Business does have a have a language like you know, many oh, other yes. industries does, right? <laughs> and yes. so, being able to understand the business language is is really important. And and people tell me, look, we've done a poor job there. Our neighboring states have done a better job than we have done of listening to business leaders and what they need and, and attracting them here to North Carolina. So here's an opportunity to put a business leader, a successful business guy in between the legislative branch that often gets involved with that process, as well as between the, the companies that are interested in bringing jobs to North Carolina. Do you have any specific ideas for improvements that you would make uh, in say your first year or two at Secretary of State, yeah, we we do. But 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 and before we go there, I think what's is important to understand when you think about that is you know you may have some things that you are aware of, but I've gone into companies before and I've had to do turnarounds. Mm-hmm. And while I sat down with boards and they tell you what's wrong with the company, I've never had a case where once I peel back the covers, there's a whole different set of problems in the company than the board ever realized. That, that there were. And that's pretty common. So I expect, while I may have some visions here, I, I fully expect that the experience here will be the same, right? We'll, we'll get started and we're going to find some challenges that we weren't aware of f- from the outside. 
Um, and I think particularly important is you think about who you put somebody in, a, in the office, in any office. You need to put somebody in that has two characteristics. And that's because very often when we get into these offices, when we elect people, things happen that you didn't know about during the election. We didn't know COVID was going to come. But now you have leadership in place that has to work with, address the unknown. When, when Bush was elected president, he didn't know the Twin Towers were going to come down. Mm-hmm. But you need people that have that skill set. So you need somebody that has that represents your values, that thinks and solves problems, you know, consistent with things that you value, and that has experience, has the toolbox to be able to address whatever comes around the curve. Um, that being said, you know, there's some things we know that need to happen. We know that we need a culture here that makes it easier for companies to come to do business, that makes it easier for entrepreneurs to start their companies, um, that takes that takes out the waste and removes some of the red tape. I was with a, um, I was with a lady last night that small company. She had sold it to a software company in the Northeast. Um, they had planned to come here and grow her operation from you know, a single person to 125 people. Um, this was in the Craven County area, and um, because of the, they and they started and they got it up to 25 people. But because of the red tape we have in this office, they said, "Look, we just can't. We just can't." Hmm. And so a hundred jobs got you know taken somewhere else because we couldn't get through the bureaucratic processes of North Carolina. We got to do better now. And so we'll fix those types of things as well as to set an economic vision for North Carolina to encourage growth, to help and attract companies to come to our great state. My guest is E.C. Sykes. He is a candidate for Secretary of State. Uh, More with him in a minute. First, if you are thinking about buying or selling a house in Western North Carolina, then here's the number for the best real estate agent. Uh, Her name is Rowena Patton, and her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com, and she outsells 99% of the realtors in North Carolina. So if you've been thinking about selling your house but just haven't pulled the trigger yet, maybe you've got a lot of questions and you just haven't gotten around to it, Please give her a call. Right now, the market is a seller's market, which means you can command more money for your property. Give her a call at 333-4483. She'll walk through all of your options. If you're thinking about buying, she's got homes in all price points. Selling, she has buyers lined up. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. You mentioned uh, talking to sort of frontline workers. I'm reminded of a comment that I think Donald Trump made or somebody said he made that everybody got outraged over uh, when, in fact, he, he was talking, he, he was talking, telling a story about how he told a, a friend of his who owned a restaurant and the guy didn't know what, why his restaurant wasn't doing well. He brought in some consultants uh, and Trump told him, look, you need to talk to your waiters. You need to talk to the servers, right, right and, and find out what's going on. Everybody lost their mind at that advice. But, I mean, anybody who's watched... I don't know, the profit on CNBC yep. or Shark Tank. Like, I know this, right? right. Like, you talk to right. the people who do the job and find out right. what's not working. And, and and that's how I was successful in business, right, is I listen to the customer, and then you provide what their needs are. Right? And so, and I think that's the same thing here in North Carolina. Look, 48 counties in North Carolina's population is decreasing. So while, while before COVID, our economy was doing well, not for everybody. Mm-hmm. It was doing well for the big city areas, but from the rural areas were struggling. And so they need some help, you know, with economic growth. But what type what type of help do they need? I think it'd be arrogant of me to sit in Raleigh and to think I would know what the rest of the state needed. You need to go listen to them, figure out what how they need to be enabled, and then and then equip them to do what they know needs to be done, as opposed to coming to them and telling them what they need to do. Right. And so it's listen. So this dovetails into uh, something I read on your website where you said, uh, you know, the values of North Carolinians. Uh, so I guess the first thing I should ask you is, well, what are those values? And then the follow up is with so many transplants, do you think those are the same values now? Yeah. So I, I'm a 10th generation North Carolinian. Um the first generation not raised on a farm. So my father actually finished his military service, um, went to Durham, 
Um, he was a policeman there. My brother was a policeman there. And so my values are came through a great family that was there. Um, and, you know, we're so while we've got a lot of great people that are moving North Carolina, that's not the case for me. I'm a native and have been for a long time. Um, I was also raised in a Christian home and I um, have, you know, been going around the state telling the people, look, I've professed Christ at an early age. My faith is an important part of who I am and how I think. And so, you know, you can pretty well predict as to how we'll be thinking about solving issues. When I think about North Carolina values, I think about the values that I was raised to respect, the ones that I've were known for here in North Carolina. Um, they include things like, you know, life, our family, and our freedoms, particularly freedoms here. Do you know in North Carolina when the Constitution was passed? Um, that we were one of the last, the second, the second last, actually, to sign it mm -hmm. until the Bill of Rights was proposed, right? And so we're fierce individualists here in North Carolina. It's just part of who we are, um, for instance. So that individualism, I think, is part of our culture traits as well. Um, you mentioned law enforcement in your family's background. You mentioned it as uh, th that there was a connection to law enforcement in the Secretary of State's office, which, full disclosure, I did not know. Um, and so now, because uh, I was reading through some of your press releases, and I was kind of curious, what is this connection with the defunding police argument uh, and the Secretary of State? You've been calling on Elaine Marshall, who is the incumbent. She's been there for, I think, um, like a million years. And uh, she uh, she has not issued any kind of a statement uh, on this defunding police issue, which has kind of popped into the public consciousness with that uh, that group that had the petition and or the pledge rather that a whole bunch of Democratic lawmakers signed. Uh, and she has not spoken, as far as I know, I haven't been able to find anything about it. And she has not spoken out about this. And you think this is important, uh, specifically why? Yeah, well, I, I don't think values are important for every elected official. I think everybody solves problems by their set of values, and I've made mine clear, and I think she owes it to the voters to make her clear, and she's she's been hiding what those values are. And like you, I haven't seen any evidence she's made clear on the defund the police. Our, our call for her, though, to defund it, which is over two months old, or to announce her position, which mm -hmm. is over two months old now, um, started with the protest and the violence that we were seeing here and the calls for to defund the police. Since then, you're right, a number of other people in her party have signed a pledge to, to do that. Right. And so now this so we think values any elected official is accountable to the people and they should know how they stand on that issue. This office also investigates and has some um, you know primary administrative responsibility for fraud for investigating securities, for investigating counterfeit goods. And I'm talking about counterfeit. This isn't, I mean, this is, you know, this isn't just somebody who made a copy of a CD and wants to sell you a CD or something, right? Mm -hmm. Th this includes, I mean, as I talked to sheriffs that are out there, this includes, um, you, know, you know, products made in foreign countries that are being brought here sold through organized crime activities, and those monies are being sent back to, and particularly talked to me about Middle Eastern countries that are not favorable to the U.S. This is talking about prescription drugs that are ordered and that are counterfeit, prescription drugs that are there that are not healthy. So, you know, if you're going to have a law enforcement arm and be responsible for it, it seems to me that the police are to know where you stand mm -hmm. on that issue of funding, right? And so we've clearly called her out, then she won't state a position. So I've been covering politics for a long time in this state. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I've ever heard of it, but I might as well ask you, is there any chance of a debate between you and Elaine Marshall? Is that, is this even an office that anybody has ever been interested in hearing a debate between the secretary of state candidates? I've talked to a number of the prior candidates that have ran against her. And there have been some, I think, in the past. Love to have the opportunity for us to educate the, you know, the voters as to where each of us stand to draw contrasts, mm -hmm. right? Just so they, um, they just understand what their choices are, which is what we're trying to do with the defund the police topic. It's a draw, just draw a contrast. And this is 
you know, this is how one person thinks, this is how another person thinks, and you as a voter need to make a choice as what you think is in your best interest and in the interests of other North Carolinians. And so um, I don't see it on the radar screen right now, but God, would I, just, I, I think it's good for our state <laughs> yeah. to, for that to happen. You also mentioned, uh, and I was not aware of this in one of the press releases, that she she went down to an Occupy Raleigh demonstration. I I did not know that. Of course, I mean, I was uh, I was down in Charlotte at the time. I had my you know eyes looking at the the Occupy Charlotte folks. But Elaine Marshall, I guess, lent her support to that movement, which I, I think probably is sort of the you can trace what we're seeing now back to Occupy. Well, a little more than lent her support. The videos that are that we've seen that are out there that are public domain um, show her at the microphone standing there welcoming them and the first words out of her mouth to them were what took you so long hmm. so this is not that she came along beside of them this is more than that right this was encouragement for the protesters that were here um anti-capitalist is what occupy you know raleigh yeah. occupy wall street was all about so you got a person that's responsible for the economic activity in north carolina that's publicly gone out and supported anti-capitalist activities. I don't think that's in the best interest of the people of North Carolina. Well, and and also with the current iteration and uh, with the the violence and the the looting and the the vandalism, that's not good for business either. I've there was a story over the last couple of days I saw, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in damage to the downtown Raleigh businesses because of this activity that. Apparently, it, lo, the local elected leadership is is just okay allowing this stuff to happen. This office should be the the advocate for businesses. That's why they put her there, standing out loudly, saying, "Look, you need to protect our businesses, our economy, and the people that are here in North Carolina." And there's just been no stand for that for that critical issue. So we've seen businesses. You're right. We've seen burned, all right, destroyed. You know, gets hurt the worst. The most vulnerable, mm-hmm. the ones that can take it the least are the ones that are suffering the most. And look, as elected officials, we're compelled to stand for them. So where is she at? Right. And so I, th- I think it's a travesty for North Carolina and we can do better than this. E.C. Sykes is the Republican candidate for secretary of state. The election is coming, but winter is coming as well. And that means old Grouch's military surplus, uh, cold weather gear and clothing, military grade thermal underwear, Wool sweaters, military field jackets in solid green and camouflage, wool and fleece toboggans and socks and Gore-Tex jackets. Old Grouch's military surplus got everything you need for the winter, whether you work outside or whether you go hunting a lot. Uh, This is heavy-duty warm clothing, and you can get it at Old Grouch's for way cheaper than you'll find at most outdoors stores. So uh, head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's on Main Street. Or go to their website, oldgrouch.com. They have tons of real U.S. military surplus. You can get lost in there. So many really cool things. Uh, By the way, some great ideas for gifts as well. Ammo boxes for storage, toolboxes, and stuff like that. Ammo boxes, you can do so much with these things. Get creative with them for that person in your life that's so hard to buy for. Old Grouches, real U.S. military surplus, downtown Clyde on Main Street. Shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So uh, shift uh, to sort of the political uh, theory here, the political game theory, I should say. Uh, Is this really a winnable seat for the Republicans this year, this time around? Elaine Marshall, I mean, I, I said she's been in office forever, but she's been there, what, six terms or something. Um, like, everybody knows her name, I think, and she doesn't really make a lot of waves, I guess, aside from the Occupy Raleigh uh, comment, uh, which I was not even aware of. So uh, is is she beatable? Is this seat winnable? And is it winnable by you? Well, I, you know, it's a couple things required to do in order to be winnable. First is, you know, we had this perception that she has strong, strong name ID because of her time and seat. And that's a fair assumption to make, but it's an assumption, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a proven fact. And so you need to prove the fact. So how do you prove it, right? Well, I mean, in a couple of different ways. One way is you can go out and you can run a poll, right? Right. Well, if you will go to a poll release this weekend by UMass, 
Lavelle, and it was a survey of North Carolina likely voters. And if you go to page 18 of that poll, while it's a survey really focused on the president, it has some other presidential races. It has some other races in there, too. It happens to also include um, some other people. It includes Josh Stein and um, Sherry Berry and Elaine Marshall. And it asks a question. We'd like to ask you about how you feel about a number of national leaders and figures. Please let us know overall, yada, yada. And it goes down. Do you have a favorable view, unfavorable, no opinion, never heard of? Mm-hmm. She got the lowest rating for favorable. She got the highest rating for never heard of at 45% of the people never heard of her. Wow. And the no opinion was 33%. So wow. 78% of the people either never heard of her or don't care. Yeah. Right. So looks pretty beatable. I mean, the name ID is not what we're running against in this case. Okay. Right? What, all we need to do is we need to get our message out. We need to get the message out that a successful conservative business leader wants to run the office that drives economic growth in North Carolina as opposed to a career politician. Mm-hmm. And we have been successful, as reported in our June numbers, of raising um, more money than any Republican nominee has done but in the, before, raised more money than Elaine Marshall has since I announced in every reporting period since I announced our filing. And so we got to get the message out. We still need more. We don't have all the funds that we need yet, but we have by far got ourselves in a better position than any prior Republican candidate do it. And we, we feel good about where we're at. Um, that's, and that's not you, uh, calling her while you, it's not just you, I should say, calling her a career politician. Cal Cunningham actually called her that, (laughs) if I remember correctly, uh, a few years ago. So, uh, so it's a good video of Cal telling her that, um, I won't repeat what he said. I'll let him say it, but uh, one of her own said that she was, you know, a career politician and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. When, uh, Cal tried, he was running against her for, uh, for U.S. Senate, I I believe, right? She's, she's made a a couple of runs for U.S. Senate as well, which I think you were critical of her doing while she's been Secretary of State. So I guess uh, my final question would be for you, if you win, do you intend to seek any other office while Secretary of State? Oh, look, I have no, no I am so far out of my zone right now, I can't see past tomorrow. So I have no other desire or ambitions right now. My head is totally focused on winning the Secretary of State's role. Um, that's here. Um, I am a newcomer, so I think we're in a, we're looking to run for an office that we can bring a lot of value to, um, and then you know figure out the political world. I have I'm I'm on strange land. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, it is a strange place. So uh, you, it's not just you. It's not just your uh, impression yeah, of this, it. It is strange. <laughs> these days, in particular, seem yes, to be. It is. Um, so my wife said, right, boy, yeah. you picked a really strange, really good time to try to run for office. That's but, right. Well, um, the website for folks who want more information about you and your platform, EC4NC.com, EC Sykes, candidate for North Carolina Secretary of State. Is there anything else you'd like to add that you think is important or interesting to note for people before I let you go? Yeah, so well, I appreciate you. You're right. The website's important, ec4nc.com, and this is a really simple solution, right? Do you want a successful business leader to run the office that drives economic growth or a career politician? It's a simple answer. E.C. Sykes, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you spending it with me. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot, Pete. All right, and that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review. I appreciate that. And consider becoming a patron of the program. You'll get cool stuff and exclusive content like our weekly live stream events. Links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com as well as in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for the support. I appreciate it. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.